know all this, all this garbage is going on, but Christ is being proclaimed, so I'm, I'm good. The, the, the things that are, are propping Paul up in the midst of adversity are the knowledge that the gospel is advancing and that Christ is being proclaimed. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Paul's going, you think I'm chained to you? Think about how miserable these guys' lives must have been because all Paul's going to do is beat them down with the goodness and the grace and the glory of the gospel day in and day out. This is Sozo Church. Um... We're going to get to work this morning. We've got a lot to cover and uh, not a lot of time. And so if you, uh, if you can turn your attentions real fast to the screens, I want to just uh, uh, begin this morning looking at a few verses. Not going to particularly preach off of these uh, individually, but just kind of want to get them uh, officially in the record, get them in our hearing so that we can uh, kind of just have them in the back of our minds as we're walking through our passage in Philippians this morning. Uh, first is... Uh, First one is James 1, 2, 3. That should be easy to remember. Uh, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Next we have uh, 2 John verse 12. There are no chapters in 2 John, so it's just verse 12. It says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We talked about this last week, but, but the founder and the perfecter of our faith, for who the joy, everybody say joy, joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Proverbs 10, 28 says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of, we'll go to the next one. Romans, uh, (laughs) the expectation of the wicked will perish. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bibles now, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. While you're getting there, I just want to make one quick statement uh, to make sure that we all have this understanding before we jump into our text this morning. God has no desire, I need you to hear this this morning, God has no desire to remove, reduce, or withhold joy from his children. Two of you understand that apparently this morning. God, has, God is not a cosmic killjoy. Can I get an amen from anybody who believes that? God is not opposed to your joy, but in fact, according to throughout the book of Philippians, as we're going to see, but even in the Old Testament, Psalm 42, 
47, I'm going to guess, I think I'm right, 47 verse 1, commands us to have joy. You are commanded to have joy according to the scriptures. And yet so many believers, I love you and I'm not looking at anybody right now, look like they've been baptized in lemon juice and that God has ruined their life. And we wonder why the gospel and the kingdom and church isn't attractive to people. Why Jesus is not. Joy is a commandment. The, the, the question, though, if, if you've walked this walk of faith very long, then is how do I have joy in the midst of adversity? Because the, there's one school of thought that just kind of says, well, just put on a happy face, pretend like you're happy, fake it till you make it, right? Like, just pretend, and then eventually it'll become real. Unfortunately, that kind of teaching has ruined true biblical perspectives on Joy. So I want to turn our attention now to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and look at Paul's response to adversity. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really, not actually, or not, not, not philosophically, not in some alternate dimension, but has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to, pre, to, to speak the word without fear. So indeed, some indeed preach Christ for en, from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, that your, your word is not dead and passive, but your word is living and active. And we thank you that as we turn to your word, we have assurance and confidence in you speaking to us through your word and bringing about a transformation that is beyond simply behavior modification and reaches into our very souls and the very fiber of our being and makes us more like you. God, I pray for those whose joy has been wounded, whose joy has been bruised and afflicted and, and, and their joy is broken. God, would you come and would you restore today the joy that is ours in you? That we might walk in joy, that we might celebrate you in joy, that we might proclaim the gospel in joy, that we might endure adversity and tragedy and suffering with joy. God, would you teach us how to do that. Would you speak to our hearts, plant the seed of who you are, the seed of your word in our hearts and in our lives. Let us be receptive to it. Let us be responsive to it. Let us leave this place different than we came in with the grace to walk in obedience to your word. And It's all for your name and for your renown and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Joy is evidence of spiritual maturity. 
contrary to popular belief from some, pop, uh, contrary to maybe even some experience you've had, uh, joy is a byproduct of the Spirit's activity in your life. The most spiritually mature people I know are the most joyful people I know. Now, now I'll be honest with you. I went through a very long season of my life where I thought spiritual maturity was, was personified by being bitter and sarcastic, by being, by being cynical toward uh, even, even the plans and purposes of God. I, I, had been, I had been bruised and I had been broken and I had been hurt. I had had hopes shattered and so therefore I got bitter and I disguised it as, well, I just understand things happy Christians don't understand. Completely ignoring the Bible's commandment to us to be joyful. Now when I say joy, I'm not talking about some plastic-faced, phony baloney, wear your happy face kind of joy talking about an abiding joy that goes beyond an emotional response. So I want to try to help us understand joy. So I I look to people who are smarter than me. And so this morning we're going to read some people's quotes, some some quotes on joy. The first is from a a Catholic priest, um, Pierre Telhard. He says, joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. I like that. Joy is a sign that God's presence is resting upon our life. Next, a little guy, you might have heard of him. He wrote a a little book that kind of sold a couple copies. His name is Rick Warren. He says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I like that. Here's my only problem with that. It's very intellectual. So I turned to a guy who I'm hoping someday will adopt me, John Piper. Um, you think I'm kidding. Uh, Christian joy, I like this. Christian joy is a good feeling. Can I get an amen on that? It was okay to have a good feeling. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. I like that. Because this, 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 I believe, taps into what, what Paul is talking about and, and Paul's perspective here. Because, because Paul here is saying, look, you guys think that because of my suffering I will not have joy, but you don't see the way I see. Now, if I'm going to be honest, I can't say that I fully can speak what John Piper here said. For me, I identify more with my thick, dead Irish blood with a poet named W.B. Yeats, who said, being Irish, he had an abiding sense of tragedy, which sustained him through temporary periods of joy. (laughs) I'm just just loving with you. That's my experience far more than Paul, who rejoices in all things and in the midst of adversity. I just had to throw that in. I'm sorry. It's just great. Paul here. We see, before, before we jump into to this, I need us to understand what's going on in Paul's life. Paul is a prisoner at this point in his life. Paul is a prisoner, and the, the, the Roman governmental system is so concerned and afraid with Paul that they actually have him 
under house arrest, they, they removed him because they heard stories, I believe, about what Paul did in other prisons where, where the doors all flung open and everyone got set free and everyone gets saved. So, so they remove Paul from that situation and they, they put him under house arrest in a house and they chain him to a member of the empirical guard. These were like the, the meanest, nastiest, rudest bikers you've ever met in your life and Paul was chained to them all day long. Paul woke up, he was chained to them. Paul went to sleep, he was chained to them. Paul ate his food, he was chained to them. Paul tried to write letters, he was chained to them. Paul did other stuff that we all have to do during the day, Paul was chained to him. And, and, and we find out through, through the wording that he uses and the wording that is used of, of how Paul was chained, he was chained to them, not with like a six foot chain, but actually something very similar to, to like police handcuffs today. He was right there with this guy. And yet, even in the midst of all of this, I want to I look at what Paul didn't do before we look at what Paul did do. Because, because I think it's in contrast to what I do when I face adversity. Paul, first and foremost, did not blame God. Now he says, I, I'm here for Christ. But that's not said in a way to say this is God's fault that I'm here and he, he's not done me right somehow. See, he didn't blame God. He, he didn't complain and want what other people had because he didn't have it. He didn't focus on that. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't get frustrated with other people's freedoms when he was in jail. He didn't compare himself to other people. And he didn't let, I love this, he didn't let the haters get him down. Those people that were hating on him and, and trying, to, trying to wreck his life, he didn't let that infect and infest what it was that he was doing. Instead, Paul is here, he's in prison, he's being persecuted, and there are a a group, according to this text, of pretenders outside the walls trying to make his life even worse than it is now. In the face of all of this, He doesn't allow himself to be defined by external success. He's not limited by temporary restrictions. And catch this, please, he is not self-centered. Paul's not sitting there praying prayers like, Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, remember me? Paul, I'm the guy writing most of the Bible. You need to get me out of here so the church can thrive. He's rejoicing in the fact, guys, look, I'm locked up and the gospel is still advancing. I'm, I'm, I'm in chains and this is still going on. How did, how did this, how did this happen? I, I want to, I want to turn our attention to the, the first statement Paul makes and the last in this passage. Paul here turns his attention to what, what I want us to understand are the bookends for him. He, he starts off by saying, I want you to understand what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You see, this book of Philippians is written as a thank you letter. See, the Philippians heard about what Paul was, what, what was happening in Paul's life. They hadn't seen him in years. They freaked out. They took up an offering like good Christians do, and they sent money and a guy like, go help Paul. Because he's got to be stressed out. He's got to be freaking out. And Paul's like, guys, 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 thanks for the gift. We're going to get to that later. Thanks for the gift. But listen, I'm all right because the gospel's still advancing. And I know all this, all this garbage is going on, but Christ is being proclaimed, so I'm, I'm good. The, the, the things that are, are propping Paul up in the midst of adversity are the knowledge that the gospel is advancing and that Christ is being proclaimed. 
His focus is not on how successful his ministry is being and is, is he achieving the goals that he and his board sat down and laid out for the Paulinian ministry. No, he's going, look, guys, I, I'm okay. The gospel is advancing and Jesus is being proclaimed. So in the midst of that, what did that do in Paul? It, it, it turned Paul's prison into a platform. I'm not endorsing what I'm about to talk about, okay? Just right now, don't watch this movie. Somebody told me about it. There's a movie called The Watchman. Don't watch the movie. And there's a moment, these are, these are, these are crime fighters, these, lo, these outlaw crime fighters, and, and they're, 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 they're superheroes. It's a comic book that was made in a movie. Don't read the comic book either. Um, and graphic novel. Sorry, I was going to get jumped after service if I didn't say that. Graphic novel. It's an art form. I know. Calm down. Um, and and in, in, this, in this story, there are these, these outlaw crime fighters, and, they, and they're, they're kind of uh, under the law and under the radar, and one of them gets captured after sending hundreds of people to prison, and they throw this guy into the same prison with all these rebels and lawbreakers and murderers and, and horrible people. And so they think, oh, here's our time to get back at him. And they try to beat him up. And without going into gory details, he wins the fight against a whole herd of them. And he says a line that I think was in Paul's heart. He says this line. He says, you think I'm locked up in here with you? You guys are locked up in here with me? <laughs> Paul's going, you think I'm chained to you? Think about how miserable these guys' lives must have been because all Paul's going to do is beat them down with the goodness and the grace and the glory of the gospel day in and day out. Whenever he eats, he's talking about Jesus. Whenever he's doing other stuff, he's talking about Jesus. When he's, when he's, when he's going to bed, when he's rising up, regardless of the circumstances and the trials and the suffering and whatever they do to him, he's still filled with joy because his purpose is the gospel. He made his prison into a platform. I don't have any time to go into who the empirical guard is. Look it up. These guys shaped Rome. And Paul says every single one of them knows why I'm here. And it's Jesus. Can you just stop and realize for a second the gravity of what must have been on Paul in that moment? Because you, you realize like he, he didn't have the right to have a bad day. He has a bad day and it could ruin his entire witness of who Christ is. So when Paul here says, I have great joy, this is not what we do to one another on a Sunday morning. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed in the Lord. Fought with my wife the whole way here, but I'm blessed in the Lord. He is risen. He's risen indeed. (laughs) Not what Paul's doing. When he says that I have joy in the midst of all this, he had a lie detector chained to him all the time. You see, what Paul understood was the gospel cannot be contained, it cannot be chained, and it cannot be detained. It can't. Lock the gospel up. Oh, you want to lock Paul up in prison, but the gospel is not in chains. It makes me uh, think as I pondered Paul's imprisonment. It made me think of John Bunyan. Anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Great book. A lot of people don't realize John Bunyan was a preacher before he was an author. And John Bunyan was such a radical preacher that he preached so boldly that the system of his day was afraid of what was happening in the hearts and lives of people, so they locked him up. Do you know what Paul Bunyan did? 
He preached louder from in prison so people would gather around outside the prison to hear him preach. He and I share a, a gift of being overtly loud, apparently. He would, he'd just scream his sermons over the walls. So finally, they lock him up in the deepest, darkest prison they can find. And what does he do? He writes Pilgrim's Progress from prison. A book that has gone to shape Christians' understanding of spiritual maturity for hundreds of years. You cannot lock up the gospel. It's not going to happen. So Paul turned his prison into a platform. He, he, he allowed the persecution that he suffered to increase the effective proclamation of the gospel in Jesus. Do you know when you go through suffering and you go through suffering well, other people get bold in the grace of Jesus. Now I want you to, I want to make sure we're like super clear on this. He didn't say they have become bold in me. He said that their confidence is in the Lord. They were confident in the Lord because of the grace of God enabling and empowering and sustaining Paul through what to them must have been the worst thing that could possibly happen. I would love to have a prison ministry, but I would prefer to do it by choice. So these people see that the the worst has happened and their response is not to shrink back, but their response is to become bold. The word bold in Hebrew here means to not shun through fear, but to endure. Persecution is designed to produce boldness. Paul's joy was found in Jesus being proclaimed and the gospel being advanced. Not in his personal advancement. What we're going to see here in a second, he didn't even care who was doing it and who was getting the credit. Because here's the deal. He, he, I get it. Okay, turn your prison into platform. I, I get that. So whatever, whatever circumstances I'm in, Lord, I want to use this as a platform to proclaim your gospel. Yes, Lord. And, and whatever persecution I face, it only serves to, to, to put my perspective onto the supremacy of who you are and the fact that it, your gospel and you, Jesus, cannot be stopped. I, I get that. I can, I can get involved in this. But the next thing throws me for a loop. Because here's the next thing. Not only was he in prison, not only was he being persecuted, but he was beginning to be associated and surrounded by a bunch of fake, phony pretenders. That's the part where I remember that Paul is in Italy. And my brain goes to, if I was Paul, which we should all rejoice that I am not. Amen. If I was Paul, and I heard about a bunch of guys out preaching Jesus out of selfish ambition, out of wrong motives, out of, out of bitterness, out of, out of some weird, jaded attempt to try to add more suffering to Paul. I'd have like called up the, 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 any church that I knew and be like, hey, I need you to find six dudes that are just barely saved. And then I got a list of some people I need them to go visit. Don't worry, they can, they can repent afterwards. It's all right. Just, just, I got some guys out there faking and pretending, and I need, I need you to go take care of these guys and make sure they understand that, that you, you, you don't preach Jesus out of pretense. You know, I'm just saying, like, maybe just give them, like, a, a wrench or ball-peen hammer or something. Just take care of these guys. That's not what Paul does. What does Paul do? 
I don't even care what their motives are. They're preaching the gospel. Do you know what this tells me? That Paul really meant what he wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. That he actually believes that the gospel is the power of God into salvation. He's going like, y'all think you're preaching on some pretense, but here's the deal. Jesus is still going to save people because you're preaching the gospel. So you know what? Neener, neener, neener. Backfired on you. <laughs> and he finds joy in it. I can't watch preachers on TV because my blood boils and my wife's like, turn it off. <laughs> and Paul's going like, I don't even care. They're preaching the gospel. Who cares? Yeah, they're doing it out of pretense. Yeah, they're doing it out of, to try to make my life worse. But you know what? I don't care in the face of phonies and flakes and, and forgery. Paul's focus is the gospel advancing and Jesus being proclaimed. Now, I want to make sure that I touch on something there because I just can't not. We ought to rejoice when we see the gospel being proclaimed. Okay? I can't judge anybody's heart. Only God can. But let me make it abundantly clear that these people who were preaching the gospel in pretense were storing up for themselves wrath on the day of judgment. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, to somehow reduce the seriousness of what it means to stand up and proclaim the gospel. These guys were waiting. The guys that are doing this, this preaching out of false pretense, are going to experience something none of us want to experience, and that is after a life supposedly lived in service to God, they're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. According to the, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, which Jesus shared, he said that in the end, God's going to gather everyone in front of him and he's going to separate them. The sheep's on one side, the goats on the other. And he's going to tell the goats, depart from me, I never knew you. And their response is, but we did ministry. We visited people. We, we, we did good stuff. So, but I don't know you. I don't know you. So while our attitude ought to be one of proper perspective that the gospel has the capacity to transform lives regardless of who preaches it, those of us who are preaching the gospel ought to very seriously make sure our hearts are in the right place as we do it. What happens on Sunday mornings, what happens as you are sharing grace and the gospel with those that God puts in your life is an eternally serious matter and ought not to be taken up lightly. I dread the thought of having to stand and give answer to some of the things that I have said from a pulpit. I was handed a microphone far too young and with far little filter. Amen. So in my last few minutes, I want to try to try to land this for us because I'm aware that adversity and trial and difficulty are really easy things to talk about and really hard things to walk through. And I am not in any way trying to diminish adversity. And I am in no way trying to make little of trial and trouble in our lives. But I also desire for us and desire for you joy 
in the midst of adversity. So I want to try to apply this in three areas really, really quick. The first is individually. So for me, what, what, what do I do as an individual, as a person? How, how do I have joy in the midst of adversity? For us corporately, and if I'm allowed and if I have enough time, I'd like to make an application to the church nationally as well. So individually, let me, let me start by saying, according to John 15, 11, joy is a byproduct of abiding in Christ. Jesus said, I, he, he, he gives the parable of, of the vine and the branches. We, we preached on this a couple weeks ago, abide in the vine. And in and, and John 15, 11, he says, I'm saying all this to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. So, so you, you got to get that out of the way. I'm going to come back to that here a little bit. But before, I don't want to get into this like, so now do this. It, it, it has to be produced by the Holy Spirit. So maybe a better way than what do I do is how do I partner with the Holy Spirit in my life so I'm not at odds with him as he's trying to work joy into my life? Is that a better understanding maybe? I, I think it's, it's quite simple. We keep our focus, the focus of our life and the foundation of our joy on Jesus and his purpose. If your joy is based on anything other than God's ultimate fulfillment of his purpose in the earth and Christ's goodness toward you, despite the fact that, hello, you don't deserve it, your joy is on sinking sand. Your joy is shifting constantly, and I might propose that it is not joy at all. So personally, I need to make my life about him. We say this every week. It is all about Jesus my life needs to be grounded and founded on who he is, what he has done for me, and his purpose in the earth. God has a plan. It cannot be stopped. It will be fulfilled. Even if my role in it is diminished, even if my role in it isn't what I think it ought to be, even if my role in it isn't, isn't what I really feel makes use of my gift. Look, God's purpose is being fulfilled. I'm going to rejoice in that. Individually, Grab these bookends like Paul did and make it the gospel advancing and Christ being proclaimed. It's one of the reasons I love hearing testimonies about what God is doing in people's lives. In the midst of all of the stuff that we face, it's a reminder of God's purpose being fulfilled. So corporately for us as, as a church, I think it's important for us to distinguish and to have a perspective that the darkness we find in our city is an indictment on the church. See, that the, the reality is that darkness is simply the absence of light. There is no dark light. You, you, you don't there's no, there's no flash dark, right? You can't carry around in your pocket a flash dark, something that makes everything darker when you shine it on it. The reality of the situation in the earth today, let's get it closer than that, in our city, is the church has refused to be the light that we are called to be. And the reality is we, we, see, we see the darkness as, as, as an obstacle to the gospel, instead of realizing that the darker it gets out there, the less we have to do to look like light. 
You ever noticed how the, the, the cheapest, junkiest, low lumen flashlight seems like it lights up the entire world when you're in a really dark room? Anybody ever made the mistake of looking at your cell phone with the brightness all the way up after you've been in bed for a few minutes and you think you have gone blind? doesn't take a lot of light in the world we're in to show Jesus and the gospel to the world that we've been placed in. It doesn't take a whole lot of light in this world. We can choose to see it as friction or as traction. So when people come to me and go, do you know how bad the world is out there? And they list off 73 things that are all true. Yeah, that's good reason for us to get out in the world and, and share Christ and love our city. It's a good reason for us to spend any extra money and then some that we have to just love on our city with a goofy event like an Easter egg hunt. How many people have come up to me, this will be our fourth year of doing Go Big, every year at least a half a dozen if not 20 people come up to me with tears in their eyes and go, I didn't know Christians acted like this. It doesn't take a lot of light, guys. It's like we gave you an egg. Like, yeah, I know, which is so nice. What? Makes you want to go, oh, honey. You know, it's like, <laughs> man, doesn't take a lot of light. But, but I think more importantly for me, when talking to us as a church, I think we need to understand that external resistance cannot do what internal reluctance cannot overcome. It's never problems outside the church that hinder the church. It's always problems inside the church that hinder the church. It's our reluctance to be the church. What does it mean to be the church? Love God and love people. We are the redeemed. We are the chosen. We are the called. What are we called to? What are we redeemed for? What are we chosen for? To love God and to love people. If we stop loving God, we're not the church. We're the worst country club on the planet. If we stop loving one another in relationship, and serving our city in love, we are not the church. We are a horrible, horrible, overly time, talent, and treasure-eating country club. Listen to me. The, the Eagles Club already exists. I don't want to build that. All the Eagles Club members are like, I like the Eagles Club. Uh, great. This is not that. But if we love... According to the Bible, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Jesus said that the problem with how much harvest is coming in is not the harvest, it's the workers. He said the harvest is plentiful, the workers are what are few. We refuse to be the church. I'll go to church, that's good. But being the church is a whole other thing. So what do we do corporately? We, we, need, we need to be the church. And I have absolutely no national platform whatsoever, thanks be to God. Um, but I do feel like I, I, I've got 60 seconds. <laughs> I think nationally we need to keep our message the gospel. And not allow the church to be apprehended by anything else. And I know what year I'm talking in right now, okay? I know what's happening. I'm not, I'm not devoid of understanding of, of the reality of our national state as, as a nation. But listen to me. Listen to me. Our message as believers has to remain the gospel.
Not, not, not apprehended by whatever. I'm not, I'm not denying. Listen, okay, just let me get out of the way. Vote, okay? Go vote. Personally be as involved in politics as your conscience will allow you to, but make your message while you're involved the gospel. Jesus. His goodness demonstrated on our behalf. Our hope needs to be Jesus, and we need to remember that God is in control. I stepped in and I might as well just walk in it for a minute. Regardless of who wins in November, the incumbent is still on the throne. Oh, so you're one of them. Yep. My hope is in Christ. My belief in what will transform this nation and let's level, it needs to be transformed, is the gospel. Let's keep our message the gospel. Regardless of how popular, listen, Paul is not sitting in prison going like, well, if we could just get a different Caesar. No, listen, I don't care what's happening because I'm preaching the gospel. And listen, I, I understand that much of the world's missionary endeavors are based upon the finances that come from this nation. I'm not saying let's just write this nation off to nothing and just who cares, okay? Please hear me. But in the face of national adversity, our message has to be the gospel. People get all freaked out by by adversity against the church. Listen to me. We tried a lot of hundred years ago to deal with Muslims by murdering them. Guess what happened? Nothing. None of them were converted. None of them trusted Christ. It didn't work. Now, the tables are turned. And in that part of the world, Christians are being slaughtered. And do you know what happened? Muslims are coming to the faith in droves like never before in history. I talked to a missionary who's in that part of the world. Can't give. I can't give because this goes out on the internet. Specific details. But it, but, but his testimony was that all they have to do is tell a few people that in this place, at this time, we're going to be talking about Jesus. And they have thousands show up, and every one of them says the same thing. Y'all die different. We killed Buddhists. They die. We killed, we killed, we killed Confuciusites. They, they die. We, we killed, we killed Christian science people, they die. We killed Mormons, they die. We killed Jehovah's Witnesses, they die. But we, we, we come to Christians and we kill them and y'all die different. Why? Because the, seed, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. You can't stop it. Why am I so confident the gospel is what we need? Because it's the only message the Bible gives us. It's the only means by which the Bible gives us to transform this world that we live in. And regardless of the outcome, God is in control and his purpose will be fulfilled. So let's keep, let's, let's keep national. When, when, you, when you're bombarded by national news, keep your focus the gospel. Keep your prayers the gospel. Please hear me. I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. I'm, you, you understand that, right? Are we jiving on this? You can be as offended as you want. Write me emails. Mark at sozospokane.org. S-O-Z-O-S-P-O-K-A-N-E dot O-R-G. <laughs> Homeschooled. Let's stand to our feet. Invite the worship team back up.
these things I have spoken, that my joy might be in you and your joy may be full. Listen, there, there is no other way of knowing and experiencing Christian joy than the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So believer, if your joy is broken, my heart breaks for you. And I'm not just saying that. That's not just... God has no design, no desire, no plan, no purpose in withholding or reducing or removing joy from your life. What you are going through, yes, is by his design. Yes, is within his control. And yes, is meant for your joy. Somebody here believes that God's glory and their joy are separate ideas. And you need to understand that they're not. You were designed. You were, you were fashioned. You were redeemed for the purpose of glorifying God. And by fulfilling that purpose, joy is yours. So this morning, believer, if your joy is broken, abide in Christ. Don't don't try to drum it up and somehow put on a happy face. Abide in Christ. Rest in him. Let the gospel and Jesus be the bookends that hold up your life. I know it's not easy. In fact, I know it's impossible. That's why I know it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't see that way. I see temporary seasons of joy (laughs) sustained by my misery. But in Him and in His purpose, come on, there's joy. I don't see that way I see temporary seasons of joy (laughs) sustained by my misery but in him and in his purpose come on there's joy